You're listening to Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi, the podcast where we think about what can be possible in our lives. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michelle Choi. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Like many people in the U.S., this is the first time in two years my family has gotten on a plane, and we chose to go on a plane to hang out with my husband's family in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is a very special place for us. My husband grew up here and went to MIT. I met him when I was at Wellesley, which is 30 minutes outside of Boston. And just in case you didn't know, that's a women's college, meaning only women go there. You can see the occasional male on campus, and sometimes they're an exchange student, but usually a boyfriend. The majority of the women lived on campus. It was so nice to go eat after a day of studying. The vast majority were on the meal plan. You could just get your dinner or lunch and have a moment to eat with your friends. And if there was the occasional guy in the room, it's funny to recount how all eyes would check out the guy. (laughs) It still makes me laugh. In retrospect, I was so busy studying and isolating myself in the cubicle in the science library, I think I would have had so much more fun and perhaps be less stressed if I made the time to work with other people and ate with friends more. But at the time, I thought in order to do well and ensure my survival as a pre-med student, I had to do it on my own. I had mentioned on previous episodes that I was very socially awkward. I never had a conversation with a boy until I was pretty much a senior in high school. My husband was my first boyfriend. It makes me laugh the stuff that I reveal on the podcast, but well, there's a certain freedom when you start. I met him when I was a junior in college. I was teaching English to Chinese immigrants in Boston Chinatown every Friday evening, those who wanted to take the citizenship test. They were a friendly bunch, mostly elderly. We would giggle, they barely understood me, and I barely understood them. I didn't realize it then, but they brought joy to my life, to be a part of their community. They would call me teacher when I felt so clumsy. But sometimes we would be in uproar together, things seemed so silly and funny, and it was fun to chat and giggle with people. And also, I learned some simple facts about American history through the process. It was nice to step out of my bubble of comfort to talk with people and enjoy their company. On the day that I met my husband, it was one of those evenings. My friend with whom I taught was beautiful, definitely much cooler, and also always had many male friends. She invited the rest of us out with her and her male friends to have Vietnamese food together in Harvard Square. I may be feeding stereotypes, but the little that I knew about boys Harvard boys seemed more well-rounded, but if you had any imagination of what chivalry could be, MIT boys generally didn't have that. I don't think I ever understood what a real nerd could be until I met someone from MIT. Granted, this is a nerd relaying this information to you. There was no courtesy. The door was never held for you. The door would always slam in my face, even if I was the one invited to a formal. Sometimes they looked very messy. There could be a lot of grit in their hair from lack of toiletry. And well, classes were really thick then too. But you had to respect their brain potential. 
I had an interest in boys, but I just didn't know how to go about it. At the restaurant in Harvard Square, we sat, and then two boys walked to the table. I was hoping that the other boy would sit next to me, but it was my future husband, John, who sat next to me. I realized that I had met him a week prior walking on the street. We shared some really awkward humor. I laughed a lot because I thought he was funny, but he also made me nervous. Later, he revealed to me that it was the first time he had Vietnamese soup and noodles. He used a fork back then. I was the first girl whom he had asked for a phone number. On our first date, he let me pay for dinner, and it made me so upset. I later told him that I didn't need another bad date. I only had three in my life, and he was my third, and that we should part ways amicably so that I could go back to campus and study. And then he revealed to me that he was actually having a great time and asked if we could see how the rest of the night goes. I believe it was our second date. We parked a car in Central Square, went for a walk towards Harvard, and couldn't find the car for a whole weekend until he was eventually towed, at which time he was informed of its whereabouts. I remember when we called the Boston police to let them know that the car was stolen. They asked what kind of car it was, and the police stated to us that they didn't think anyone would steal a white Ford Escort. So funny. Laugh out loud. It still makes me laugh. So anyway, this summer, we made a trip to Massachusetts to visit our old playing ground and visit his family, our family. We spent time with the whole family in Sebasco, Maine, then spent a week in Andover, Massachusetts, where the kids went to camp with their cousins, and there were five kids in a house together. And during the last leg of the trip, we spent it at Cape Cod. Every time we're at the Cape, we make a drive out to Provincetown, which is a fun and quirky beach community at the extreme tip of Cape Cod. People call it P-Town, which makes my kids laugh, and it's known for its beaches, artists, harbor, it's very touristy, and it's a popular vacation destination for the LGBT plus community. The year-round population is about 3,000, and its summer population can be as high as 60,000. The main drag is usually so full of people during the summer as you walk on the street. Provincetown was in the news recently due to the COVID outbreak amongst the vaccinated over the 4th of July weekend. In June, there was not a single case of COVID in Provincetown, and the vaccination rate for the town was so high, people joked that it had surpassed 100%. According to the Washington Post article on August 5, 2021, how One City stress-tested the vaccine with partying by Hannah Knowles and Randy Dotinga. July festivities at the tip of Cape Cod stress-tested the vaccines against indoor crowds in the fast-spreading, game-changing Delta variant of the coronavirus. Provincetown had an outbreak of COVID cases, which grew to more than 1,000 people, but many of these folks had mild or no symptoms. While many had no symptoms, those who did who were also vaccinated, it seems like generally they lost their sense of taste. About 75% of the cases analyzed by the CDC were people who were vaccinated, which makes us wonder if the immunized in rare cases can also spread COVID. Nearly half of the U.S. population is vaccinated against the coronavirus, and while we've also not reached herd immunity, 
the CDC has recommended to return to mask wearing indoors due to the concerns of rising numbers of new infections, likely from the highly transmissible Delta variant. According to the CDC director, Rochelle Wolensky, while vaccinated people can spread the virus if they get a breakthrough infection, the odds of them getting sick in the first place are far lower than those who are unvaccinated. While the Delta variant spreads, it's become obvious that the virus is something that we have to live with. As we choose to live, we have to make our own decisions about risk tolerance. Reducing the risk to zero is not possible. And perhaps the scary part is that vaccinated and unvaccinated people are equally contagious. But what cautions are you willing to take so that you and others can live? On today's show, we have Rowan Fox-Giles here to talk about Celtic spirituality. She is an internationally acclaimed intuitive counselor. She is known worldwide for helping people to navigate their lives and achieve their goals through Anamkara soul path readings and healings, and she is Celtic in heritage herself. The Anamkara is a Celtic tradition of guidance and inner growth, as a literal translation of Anamkara is soul friend. Join us as we talk about Celtic spirituality and life's journey. Welcome to the show, Rowan Fox Kyles. I'm so thankful that you're here today. Welcome to Lost or Found. Uh, thank you, Dr. Michelle. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here and uh, to talk about Celtic spirituality. Wonderful. And before we begin, can you tell us about yourself? Well, I am a life coach and a hypnotherapist, and I help people transform their lives. My spiritual path is the one of the Celtic tradition. Um, most of you probably can see that I am of the Celtic Celtic tradition uh, or <laughs> Celtic ethnic background. Um, so that's that's a nutshell version of what I do. I do a lot of things. I'm also um, certified in many energy healing modalities. Uh, I'm a certified hypnotherapist. I do psychic readings. And most of all, what I really enjoy the most and what I'm moving into doing more is helping people live a better life, helping people live a more connected life, and helping people transform their lives. And part of the way that I do this is using all of the modalities that I have uh, in my toolbox and also helping them to connect in with their authentic self and helping them to be connected in more with the world around them. I love that. And as we begin, how would you describe Celtic spirituality? Celtic spirituality is one of, it's a very uh, sensual spirituality. And by sensual, I mean it is one of experiencing with all of the five senses, really experiencing the world around you and experiencing uh, the natural world 
It is a, an interconnectedness with the natural world. In Celtic spirituality, you don't see yourself outside of nature. You see yourself as part of nature, and you see that nature is part of you within you. So there's this constant communication back and forth with the natural world. I love that because I think the way I view spirituality, it's really a, an approach to life. And I think to be aware of where we are and how we live and what we're a part of, I think really that is part of like the bigger picture. Absolutely. Absolutely. So many people are suffering and struggling. And I see that in my clients. And I just see this that in general, you know, out, uh, you know, out and about just uh, maneuvering through life and meeting people and just kind of, you know, I can't help but pick up where people's vibrations are and what's going on with them a little bit. And, uh, and people are so disconnected, they're going through the motions of life, most people are in their um, mental selves, in their in their um, um, mental body, and they're going through old patterns, old tapes in their mind. And some of them, uh, those old tapes aren't even pertinent to, to them or who they are and what's going on. So there's a huge disconnect. And there, with that comes um, a very soul loss. And that loss of, you know, that authentic self, that that loss of a sacred purpose in life, that loss of real connection, and not just connection with the natural world, but true connection, true intimacy, you know, and I'm not speaking of a sexual intimacy, I'm speaking of an intimacy in conversation, an intimacy like you and I are having right now, Michelle, in this moment right now, we are here, we are both present, we are focusing on what we're talking about. We're not, you know, out there in a million different places. And so helping to bring people back into this, this place within themselves is very important. Totally. And I really think that if you feel like you can't be where you need to be now, sometimes it really takes several moments to just stop and see what what's has what has happened to review and to see how you're going to live to be in your now now and in your future. Absolutely. And most people are very uncomfortable sitting with themselves in solitude. So they keep themselves very, very busy throughout the day and the days and the weeks and just wondering, you know, where the time goes. And so it's really important to um, to sit in that solitude and to get mm -hmm. really comfortable with yourself and really, you know, that relationship with yourself, that relationship with your soul you know, the fire of your spirit, right? It's like, yeah, like one of the most delicious places to be once you get there, you know, but there's also a lot of shadow work that's involved with that as well. You know, as you go a little bit deeper, and that's, you know, um, something that people often uh, shy away from. I really enjoyed reading the book, Anam Kara by John O'Donohue that you recommended. What does Anamkara mean? Anamkara is a Celtic word for soul friend. So the Anamkara is your 
trusted guide on your path. It's somebody that you uh, can sit and tell your most intimate secrets to someone who acts as an advisor. So it's really, it kind of covers a lot of realms. It can be that very best friend that you trust with, you know, all of your heart and your secrets. Um, It could be a mentor on your spiritual path. It could also be uh, that very soul friend that exists uh, in the other realms that, you know, some people know it as a guardian angel that we come into life with and walk with. But yeah, if you can just think of the Anamkara as this beautiful, wonderful soul friend. Wonderful. And this Anamkara, I guess, as you described, could be within us or around us, right? And I think it's ironic if this Anamkara or this soul friend is in us, that we deny that friend so much, or we try to live without the friend. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, uh, once again, that's part of the disconnect. And it's part of the disconnect of uh, the ego with the true self. It's part of the disconnect that we've learned in society, we've, we've taken on, um, you know, another, you know, we kind of have uh, adapted another way of doing things based on what we've been told, what we've been indoctrinated to, and we've lost touch with you know, that, that soul place inside, you know, that deeper place. And so when you lose touch with that deeper place, and you feel the disconnect, you're always trying to find it externally, without, you know, outside of you, not without you, but outside of you, you're always seeking that whether it's you're seeking it, you know, through relationships that aren't working, or you're seeking it through food, or um, addict, some addiction, drug or alcohol, it's like you're lacking the balance because you're seeking to fulfill that relationship with your deeper soul. And this is something that when we go into the Celtic, Celtic spirituality, uh, you know, we don't see that so much because, you know, every moment of their day is connected every moment of their day, you know, anybody that is really practicing the tradition, you're you're connected. Do you think if you're looking more outside than inside, and perhaps the ego is what's confusing us as well, you know, not listening to our inside, do you think it's more because we're afraid, afraid to look within and what to know what the actual truth is? Um, that's one of the things. And I think sometimes people don't know the path to get there. People have lost the path to get to their inner self to really connect deeply. And that's where I come in as a guide or a mentor, you know, doing um, some of the shamanic work that I do, you know, to help people reconnect with that deeper part of themselves and welcome it back in. And uh, yes, you know, you get lost, you get lost in the day to day world. It's a busy world. It's full of glamour. It's full of illusion. And it's full of the uh, stuff that speaks to the ego. Yeah, the ego filters all of this stuff, you know, um, you can really create as most people have this really full, lovely life that looks good on the surface, yet have this 
big hole within you that cannot be filled. And it doesn't matter. It's like the new house, the new car, the vacations. It's like nothing is going to fill that void as long as you are looking outside of yourself, as long as you are seeking something externally. The only way you fill that void is by connecting back in, connecting in with yourself, connecting in with the natural world, and also connecting in with the inner planes too, and realizing that you're not here alone. You know, nobody comes into this world alone. We come into this world And this is another aspect that is very unique to the Celtic spirituality is the knowledge that, you know, when a child is born, that child is coming in with not only its uh, soul guide, but coming in with ancestral guides, um, other spiritual guides to help with whatever their life path is supposed to be and all of those you know, gifts that and talents that they have have brought into the world with them. And so never, we're never alone. And the problem is, is that modern culture tells us and shows us we're alone. And then modern culture shows us that we have people we can reach out to, you know, um, professional people, you know, therapists, doctors, um, friends, family. And the problem with that is, is it's never going to be enough. It'll never be enough because anyone who is in a human body also is on the same path. They may be able to help a little bit along the way, but they're going to have their trials and their struggles and their challenges that are going to bring them deeper into their spiritual development, deeper um, onto their path. And uh, so we need to connect with the natural world as well as needing to connect with these beautiful inner plane guides and our ancestors. I mean, a lot of us right now that are on the planet have come down here at this. Um, really unique time in human history. Uh, some people are calling it the ascension. It's a, it's definitely an, a new era. In this time, we have the ability to heal a lot of ancestral issues, ancestral stuff that we're carrying in our own DNA. And so yeah. it's a very profound time uh, to do that work for, you know, not just for ourselves, but for our, our whole family line. I really find what you say really interesting because I think we've become a culture where what we see, we take it as truth. But what if truth is what we don't see? You know, like how you describe glamour is an illusion. And why are we going after something where you can never even grasp it because it's an illusion, you know? But I find that so interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it it is. It's And it, it is just because you know, as humanity as a whole has gotten away from, you know, what is real. And it and it's interesting that you would use um, vision, that the term see what we see. And it is because, you know, our eyes are just so hungry for, you know, um, 
that kind of sensual experience once again, right? But our eyes are also hungry for the sensual experience of, you know, how the light shines down from the sun onto a reflected pool of water. You know, um, the beauty in uh, a dragonfly as it floats through the air, you know, that real sensual experience rather than, you know, somebody who drives up in like a new car, you know, (laughs) somebody who just like drives up in their new BMW that's really, you know, and, you know, and I'm not saying that people should not experience life and have the things that they want. Because that's definitely part of life and part of the magic of life is that we are down here to create what we want. But as long as those things are an addition to what we're creating on in on the inner in our inner world. So our inner world should ideally be connected in and should be flowing outward into our external world. And then those things that we do like, those little uh, bits of glitz and glamour, we can choose to have those in addition to what we've already built. Yeah. It could be like fun instead of like your meaning, you know. I find that really interesting because sometimes even like that whole idea of like vision or seeing, you know, if sometimes what you become is from what you see, then I really think we have to be careful with what we see. You know, if it's just like television or looking at the computer screen and like social media all the time, that's such emptiness. While like in terms of, you know, based on like Celtic spirituality, if you go outside, you see people, you see nature and you're taking that in, there's an element where you become that, you know, like truth. Right. We have to be careful of how we create our truth, I think. Right. And social media is a huge distraction for most people. And it's a huge emotional drain. It sucks people in. Um, I always recommend that my clients really limit their social media because so many times people get sucked into somebody else's life experience. And then all of a sudden, it's like they're not living their life. So, you know, it's a slippery slope with social media. And um, I I do feel like a lot of people are starting to do that, are starting to see that, are starting to realize. I mean, you can have thousands and thousands of Facebook friends, but when you're in um, an emergency situation, you better have a relationship with your neighbors. You know, mm-hmm. you better have that. You better have that sense of community because those are the people you're going to rely on literally when your house is on fire. Totally. And, because that Facebook friend may not actually be a friend. <laughs> yeah. And they may be even two blocks away from you. And it's like, oh, sorry, can't help you out. So, and, and this is the thing that people are thinking. And also, you know, I, I often like to call Facebook fake book because this is where people get to live out the fantasies of their life. And the problem with that is then other people believe that's real. The vacations, the perfect life, the perfect house, the perfect husband or or wife, you know, and it's like I, I tell my clients all the time, that's not real. That's part of the illusion. And anybody that is over posting on social media, to me, that's a sign right there that it's like, 
I mean, I know some people use it for business and, and that's, that's kind of a different element, but somebody that's over posting about their, their life is somebody that's like really distracting themselves from experiencing their internal life and what's going on inside them. It's somebody that really is uncomfortable in the solitude. Absolutely. I really do think it's a huge form of distress, actually. And I think when one's feeling badly, you really have to think about what you do in your day and how much of your day do you spend on an empty screen, you know? Um, But anyway, I really found what John O'Donoghue, what he said in the book to be so interesting. There are so many beautiful things that he said. And one of them was, since the birth of the human heart is an ongoing process, Love is a continuous birth of creativity within and between us. It's so profound. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, you, yeah, I also, I mean, he says so much amazing stuff. That's why I recommended the book. There's so many excellent books out there on Celtic spirituality. And I would advise anyone that's interested to just, you know, uh, go out there and, and do a little bit of your own investigation and see what appeals to you. But uh, his book is just so uh, poetic and uh, beautiful in the way he states things too, and the way he states the relationship between humanity and, um, you know, not just the natural world around us, but just that, that uh, connection and that growth. And it is, it is all about the heart because when you're in sync with your heart and you're really coming from that that place of love and compassion and once again it's the heart that connects us with the authentic self so you're you're building that depth and also the heart this is kind of where we get into doing the alchemy of change which is one of my favorite things to work on with people is really getting in there and transmuting what somebody's holding in their in their heart, you know, transmuting some of those old belief patterns, those that lack of self love, everything comes from that heart connection, and especially being able to connect with other people at a very heartfelt level, like he's talking about on that one to one where you're there in that intimate space together, really, really listening and also being heard by that person. And that doesn't happen very frequently today. A lot of people are talking. A lot of people aren't receiving, aren't listening. It's like everybody's talking at once. It's a lot of noise. But it's really like it's a beautiful and like perhaps even a kinder way to view life. Because he continues to state, the birth of the human heart is an ongoing process. It's being birthed in every experience of your life. So no matter what the experience, whether it's good or bad, it's part of like the birth of you Yeah, or your heart. It's the ongoing spiritual development. It's the ongoing rebirth. And like, that's what he's talking about. These constant stages of, of rebirth rebirth and the celtic in celtic spirituality we view things as you know we really respect the spiral of life and so things happen in a spiral motion they don't happen in a linear fashion and so this is something we're always growing and we're always 
moving upward. You know, that's that's the yeah. goal moving in this spiral. So, you know, we may falter and kind of backslide a little bit in our lessons and and then we come back around and experience that growth anew and uh and begin to progress from there. So it is it's always it's like lifting the veils as well. So it's always this unveiling of the heart. Yeah, because I think oftentimes in life, we only want to experience the convenient and the good, you know, and we don't want to experience the bad or we want to ignore it. But maybe what if it's not meant to be ignored? Maybe it's really meant to be experienced and to learn from. Well, for the balance. Absolutely, because that is the balance. And that's the one thing that the Celts don't shy away from. They don't Mm. shy away from. Um, the darkness they they embrace the darkness as a part it's a it's a polarity you know the the light and the dark the masculine and the feminine and so those dark goddesses are there you know to help us they're there to help us for a reason they're there to show us our shadow and that's kind of part of the problem I have with the new some of the new age movement Mm -hmm. that was going on in the 90s where people just said Oh, just don't even don't even look at that. You know, just focus on the light. Everything's about the light. And it's like, no, you cannot just focus on the light. Once again, that creates um, an imbalance. Mm-hmm. So you have to go into those darker places. You have to be willing to look at those darker places within yourself. And you have to be willing to go there. And this is the part of the shadow work that the Celts are are, are really, really um good at doing. They don't shy away from that because they know if they go deep into that shadow work, there's power in there. There's knowledge in there. There's an an opportunity in there to take whatever it is that's creating that uh, that fear, um, the the habit that they don't want, um, that reflection of themselves that they don't like, so whenever they go in there and really dig deep and, and find that, that's the opportunity. And this is where the true transformation happens. This is where the alchemy happens is when you dig deep into that darkness and you get there and you get to what it really is, you know, what it really is that is uh, troubling you or is underneath that, you know, Whatever it is, say someone with a habit of overeating or mm-hmm. and and can't seem to lose weight. It's like, well, okay. It's like I always say to them, it's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. So let's look at what's oh, interesting. There, you know? And yeah. so delve deep. It's really always amazing to see what's that underlying um that underlying uh little seed or how it's serving that purpose, that purpose in that person. And then to uh, go in there and transmute that and, and see how it can serve someone in a real positive and powerful way. And that is the alchemy of shifting and changing. And, you know, when you really change yourself at that deep level, you change your life experience. Yeah, that we that our shadows, like you say, are meant to be looked at, and there's information or profound information within it mm-hmm. to really truly grow. That's yeah. profound. 
Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because, you know, that's what he also talks about. You know, he mentions, O'Donoghue mentions like the balance of life, that we're always on a journey from darkness into light. All creativity awakens at this primal threshold where light and darkness test and bless each other. It's so beautiful, like the circular nature of our journey that we're meant to go through it all to really get to maybe even to home, whatever that is for us. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Home is that place where you sit and you are just really, really like comfortable in your own skin and really in self-love and compassion and forgiveness for yourself, too, as a human being, you know, or actually as a spiritual being having a human experience. Right. So that to me, when you can sit in that and you can really feel the power in who you are, that's, that's when you've, you know, you're not done. We're never done as long as we're down here, you know, as, as he says, but that's where you really um, can, can rest for a while in that, in that place. Totally. And I thought it was really interesting how you said earlier that too much light is not necessarily good. Like you, we always imagine light as, you know, like the Mecca of information or knowledge, but that it's not necessarily good. Do you think light is a secret presence of the divine? I always see that spark of the divine mm -hmm. as, as light. I do. I do see that. And everybody has that. They may be like steeped in their darkness and living out their darkness and totally disconnected. But as long as you're here, you have that spark of the divine in you. It's just about turning it on and uh, really activating it and letting it begin to be that beacon that guides you out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. The circular journey going through both. Yeah, I like to see it as a pendulum, you know, and mm -hmm. pendulum doesn't just swing to the light and hang out there. It shouldn't. <laughs> right. It's like the pendulum should be always swinging. So you should always be somewhere, you know, between that polarity of light and darkness. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yeah, you're going to be more on the light side of things. And sometimes you're going to be more in the darkness. But it's like there's nothing to fear in the dark. I mean, that mm -hmm. dark is so potent. You know, that is a place where you go to get answers. That is a place where you go to dig deep. That is a place where you go to begin the, you know, um, the inner alchemy. That's where you go to see what you're going to start stirring in, in your mm -hmm. cauldron of transformation, right? And that, to me, is just so um, alive. So it's like, you know, there's nothing to fear in the dark because that's part of the process. In the light, it's like you're feeling good, you have all of that, you know, and, you know, it's not, you know, some people can say, well, that transmutation that happens doing shadow work, it can be very, um, you know, uh, painful, and, and sometimes traumatic. And there's no doubt about that. But once you've done it, it's like, wow, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like that's true growth. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You don't get, uh, you know, you you just can't you can't skip that step. And a lot of a lot of paths try to do that. A lot of paths try to, 
you know, uh, just uh, skip, skip doing the shadow work, skip the mm-hmm. dark. They don't want to acknowledge the darkness. They're going to stay in the light. And that's what it is. And then this is what you get. You get a lot of people that are looking externally to try and kind of feed that hole within themselves because you don't get to that authentic place inside without going into the dark. Mm -hmm. Rowan, when do you think people get stuck in the dark though? You know, it's really interesting because people get stuck in the dark when uh, some people are just unaware, you know, Mm -hmm. it's vibration. Um, It's a negative vibration. And it's when people, people resist. And so if we look at this as the hero's journey, so the first part of the hero's journey is that call to action, right? That call to change. And oftentimes what people do is they'll get that call to change in one way or another. It may come in a dream sequence. It may come by something they experience, a traumatic situation. However, it comes and and lies at their doorstep, so to speak, they receive the call to action. At that time, at a very soul level, and, you know, and this is a little bit of a play between the, the, the soul and the, and the ego, of whether they answer that call to action, that call to change. And a lot of people will shy away at first. And then spirit being the the beautiful spiritual beings that help us on our life path, will bring that to us again, that, uh, you know, that call to action will keep coming. And some people will answer the call to action. And they will step into their power and they'll, you know, make an appointment with a healer or a therapist. They'll, they'll start walking that path in one way or another, which will lead to more doors opening for them and more help and assistance on that path. Then there are other people that will fight and resist the call to action at all costs. And they will continue to fight as long as as they have, and that's the ego fighting the change. And so as the ego fights the change and fights the call to action and fights that true inner alchemy that really, really wants to happen, that person slides more and more into illusion, into darkness, into despair, into uh, negative vibration. And they begin, that begins to be, kind of their home base, vibrationally mm-hmm. speaking. And it is one where we find then people are reaching out for external things, like just give me some antidepressants, give me some, you know, what whatever it is, you know, this is where people fall into addiction because they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're really seeking. And what they're seeking is they're seeking that reconnection with themselves. Yeah. I think the irony is that the opportunity is always there. It may not be taken, but the opportunity is always available. It's always there. Yeah, it's always there. And so you'll see some people that have been living that life for a long time. And then all of a sudden they're like, I don't know what happened, but I just didn't want to be unhappy anymore. I just can't Mm -hmm. keep living this way. And so then they'll step into that call to action. 
And I think, you know, to be honest, sometimes the process of change could be really painful and scary, but maybe it's totally worth it though, you know? For someone who's done it, it absolutely, and and still doing it, you know, like I said, as long as we're in a human, we're still doing it. I still have my challenges. Uh, The benefit is that I have more tools in my toolbox at this point in time. Exactly. Thing comes up, I recognize it right away. And it's like, oh, okay, better address this now before it, you know, gets too out of hand, you know. And then there are the challenges that are just simply external and outside of yourself, you know, that you, you have to, um, you have to find your, your inner strength and your inner power. You know, we all just went through the pandemic kind of playing out right now. So within that, everybody's had to find their, um, their comfort zone. Yeah. And I think the ultimate truth is even if you think your life is good at that moment, It's not like always good. Like life's seriously a process and it's like what we want to take out of that process then and how we want to grow. I think it's a continual effect. Yeah, it's absolutely. We're always growing. We're always changing. So uh, yeah. And there's, uh, there's always going to, going to be stuff, you know, there's always going to be stuff to work on, but there's also going to be the blessing of feeling better. You know, the Mm -hmm. blood of getting up and greeting the day and being excited for life. Like you say, having more tools in your tool belt. Right. You know, if you're not, if you're not waking up and you're excited to go to work, then there's a problem. I mean, and everybody has a day or two, or sometimes when I was like, I just really wish I didn't have to go in today. That's a different story. But if you're going into your job, and every day you wake up and you're it's drudgery for you, then that is a problem. You need to look at that. You need to yeah. get you need to get really clear with yourself and you need to go into, you know, what what is it that you truly desire? These are messages in our lives that we can listen to mm-hmm. and do something about. Absolutely. I love what he wrote in the book. He said, love can awaken what is divine in you. In love, you grow and come home to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Once again, it is about that self-love, you know, and also not just self-love, but, but the love of, of others, the love of others, how, uh, human beings, nature, animals, you know, acknowledging that interconnectedness and um, yeah, and that's where you really do come home to yourself. And that feeling of you're never alone. And so many people, that's what they say. I'm isolated. I'm alone. It's like, no, you're not. You know, you're not seeing other people right now, but you're not isolated. You're not alone. You're not, you know, go for a walk in the woods if you want to realize that you are not alone and see what the trees are saying to you. Yeah. The interconnectedness of life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. See what the forest animals have to say, connect in. And so many people when they're, they're walking in nature, even. Mm -hmm. Or the turkey that randomly comes into your yard, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
yeah, the turkey that randomly comes into your yard, there's a meaning. And so in Celtic spirituality, we look at all of this. I mean, I was literally driving down the road and a hawk came down and swooped right past my window. I was like, oh my God, I thought I was actually going to hit that, that hawk. And then, um, I, you know, of course I'm like, okay, I got to go and really do a little bit of research on what the hawk means and what it's, what it's bringing in. And, you know, yeah. And when I was reading Celtic spirituality talks a lot about nature and I think we've really lost touch with nature in our like modern day society, but many of us are not even aware of that loss. You're absolutely correct. I would say most people are not, most people don't even think about nature. They know it's nice when they can go camping or they can go on a hike in the woods or they can go to the beach and enjoy the ocean, but they're enjoying it on a very superficial level. It's not, um, it's not touching them deeply. Yeah. They're not, you know, I mean, and even at that level, it is working on them. You know, you take a walk in the woods, it, you know, you've got all of those elementals working on you, all of those like nature spirits that are coming in, healing your auric field and also kind of quieting down your mind. So Mm -hmm. I don't really tell this to people, but you know, um, I moved to Santa Cruz about, I guess now it's uh, 11 years, uh, 12 years ago. And when I moved here, I had finished residency and I had a really hard time getting pregnant. And I realized I had become a tree hugger when, you know, I couldn't get pregnant. It took like over a year and we were going hiking and I would literally put my hand on a redwood tree and I would ask the redwood tree, I would pray to bless me with a baby. And that's when I realized like, you know, like, but it meant something to me. I felt like I was being heard there. When you look at a redwood tree, they're like over 2000 years old. They've been around so much longer. You walk on the soft bed. There's power to nature. Right. And, you know, and the trees are our oldest ancestors. And I love going and connecting in with the trees. And and I love that example you just gave, because yes, you know, when we ask for, for help from spirit, whether it's the tree spirits, or it's, you know, our spirit guides, or uh, another, you know, elemental, or even into like the realm of fairy, which I work with a lot, we're heard, we're honored, and we get the help. And that's really important to um, take note of, because all of this help is available to us, but we also have our free will. So they they can be watching us from afar. Um, and knowing that we need help and that they could help us. But if we don't ask for that help, they can't just, you know, come in and, uh, you know, interrupt our process and interrupt uh, our free will. But once we invoke them, you know, once we ask for help, then all of a sudden those doors just fly open and there they are. And, um, And it's so funny because even I sometimes forget when I need help. To, to ask for help. And then it's like, oh yeah, maybe, I, maybe a little help could, could be useful right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, I don't really think I ask for enough help from people, but in truth, I ask for help to like, you know, whomever, I mean, like to like spiritual all the time, you know, like I'm like always praying out, 
please help me. But strangely, it does make me feel better. You know, like I'm not sure if it's being heard, but it gives like some peace to my heart mm-hmm. to just even say it, even if it's to the air, you know, to feel like you're being heard. Right, right. And you are being heard. You are being heard. There's there's no doubt. You may not have, you know, a, a lightning bolt that comes out of the blue or some, you know, sign or that, that tells you you're being heard. Because, you know, the voice of spirit is so quiet. And that's another part when you really sink deep in and learn to listen to that voice of spirit, then you can get your answers. And sometimes the voice of spirit, I'm actually being reminded by spirit right now, sometimes the voice can be rather loud. They can hit you over the head with a two by four, you know, um, or literally a hawk coming out of the sky, almost hitting your car window, you know. So, yeah, there's those uh, um, there's those times. But yet when you ask for help from spirit, you know, you're going to get it and usually get acknowledgement and uh, you know i have a um a fun story about that because uh in 2019 i was in i was in uh, the uk in england in london actually and my phone wasn't working you know siri gets me everywhere right so i was it was like i was back in the early 90s again i had to ask people on the street for directions and i was lost i couldn't get back to my hotel room and i I was just kind of crazy and then i stood there at one point and i was just exhausted from you know the overnight flight and now i was lost and it was like oh my gosh what am i gonna do and then it's like well your totem animal is the fox (sighs) and so i'm like Fox. I'm all Fox. I need some help. I'm totally lost. I got to get back to my hotel room. I just want to lie down for a moment. Please help me. And so literally I walked one block, looked up at a street sign, recognized it and said, oh my gosh, I feel like I turn left here and I'm okay. And I did. And everything kind of fell into place and I found my way. And I was like, oh, with much gratitude. Thank you, Fox. And then uh, right after that, a truck drove by, a big, like, kind of semi-truck, whatever, with a big fox face on it, you know. So, and, and hilarious. I, I mean, and I love that because, you know, fox gets me out of, uh, out of sticky situations, like being lost. It's like fox can get in there and navigate for you, you know. So that's... I really appreciate that. So anytime I'm in a a difficult situation that requires a little bit of sneakiness, a little bit of cunning, a little bit of the ability to move around things, it's like I I always remember to call on Fox. And Fox always finish it up by giving me an actual physical sign like, okay, we're done here, you know, help you out. You're welcome. Fox on the truck. (laughs) Fox on the truck. And also anytime I see Fox, popping up and this is this is another way our guides and our totem animals and um, ancestors work with us and so this is why we have to be connected and and really open to receiving because anytime that fox knows i'm going to need help ahead of time fox starts showing up 
Fox, Fox, Fox. It'll be pictures on track. I'll see the name Fox. It's like Fox, Fox, Fox. I'm like, okay, I'm I, I'm going to have a situation that's going to be a little dicey. I'm going to need help navigating it. So I better invoke the Fox right now. And so that's the way the Fox tells me, hey, I'm here. You might need me. Give me a ring. Kind of give me a ring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, give me a ring. Give me a call. You know, invoke me. And so, you know, and, and it's just a, it's, it's an amazing life because when we work with the forces around us, you know, and with our guides and with our totem animals, we move through life so much uh, smoother. It's, it's just, it doesn't have to be as hard. Mm-hmm. We don't have to hit all the obstacles. So, you know, a, a good general practice for anyone that wants to get started on this path is to, I would recommend just to start out, you know, your day, even if you don't know who your guides are, it's okay. They're there. They're listening to you as you're like drinking your tea or coffee in the morning um, or driving to work, whatever. I know people have just tremendously busy schedules these days. It's like, take a little time to call in your guides and to ask for help and to ask that your day go smoothly and that all obstacles that come up for you, you're able to navigate through. Mm-hmm. So we're always guided in our lives, be it in spirit form or even in physical sometimes, but we always are guided, but we need to call on them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's so many, like what you define, like the fox in your life, there's so many mysteries and there's so many miracles to our daily lives that we just don't see sometimes, but they may be totally there and we just don't see it. But they're like, hey, (laughs) you know, I'm here kind of thing, you know, like all those moments. You're absolutely right. And a lot of times people will brush that off as coincidence. Or what luck? It's like, no, that was not luck. That was your guides. Please thank them. You know, be appreciative. They like to get that appreciation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So a, a lot of times what you brush off as coincidence or just a lucky moment is uh, more of your guides lining things up for you to have that good fortune or to, to have that moment. Of the interconnectedness, whether or not us in nature or even us with possible other realms or spirits, all of that, like all of that matters, whether or not you believe or not believe. But if spirituality is what it is, it's a way in which to live life and use your resources. Correct. You're absolutely right. And this is available to everyone. It's like you don't have to specifically be on the Celtic path. It, it's it's available to everyone. Yeah, it's I just think that's that, so remarkable. <laughs> it's just that Celtic spirituality never lost it. Yeah, and all the conversions to Christianity and everything, they maintained the the old ways. I thought it was really like, I thought this was a very important message that many of us need to hear, like in our busy lives. O'Donoghue writes, you lose the balance of your soul if you don't learn to take care of yourself. You need to be generous to yourself in order to receive that love that surrounds you. Like many of us are not, many of us deny ourselves, you know, or don't even take care of ourselves. We're just so busy with the way life is. 
but maybe that's not the way. Absolutely. And even people that are, you know, we all know those people that are just um, always over giving or they're the ultimate volunteers. They're always there to help out during a crisis, which is wonderful, but that's another distraction from self. So even though you're doing something that's, that's seemingly really positive, if you're not taking care of yourself first, then it's just a distraction from getting to know yourself. And once again, you're looking for those external accolades. Are you going to get a certificate of recognition from, you know, the mayor or something, you know, for volunteering on all these, you know, to all these positions? And, you know, and that's wonderful, too, as long as you're remembering to take care of yourself first. But a lot of times we see those people that are engaged in either overgiving to their family or community or whatever it is without taking care of themselves and honoring themselves uh, first. And that's another form of, you know, wanting that external um, feedback, that external uh, appreciation. And they're, they're kind of missing the mark on that a bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's really possible to love someone else if we don't love ourselves? That's a very interesting question. I feel like what happens in those cases is, you know, we're actually, the other person is acting as a mirror. And so we're either loving or having to make peace with what we're seeing in the mirror. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I do believe we can look at someone and we can love them for who they are. And love is a, we say love, you know, in terms of relationship, love, intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. It's a very complex and complicated thing. But yes, in order to like truly love someone in that, uh, that way where we can hold um, that, that space for that, that love, that container and I don't want to use the, the term unconditional because everything is conditional. All relationships are a negotiation. So it's not completely unconditional, but we can hold balance within that when we're in self-love. And also when the other person as well is working on themselves and is in self-love with themselves. And then we can hold the container of balance for um, what you know, what comes out of that uh, connection. Because when we both parties are in self love, and they're they're exchanging that heart to heart connection, they love each other. They're holding that container of energy. Well, the relationship itself becomes its own entity. And that's where you get into the real kind of juicy, delicious part (laughs) of spirituality is when people can be in that place of, um, you know, kind of meeting in that area and exchanging energy and allowing their relationship to be something that grows, grows in service to themselves, in service to each other, in service to humanity and and beyond and continues to give each other the lessons that they need to keep growing. Mm-hmm. So that's the balanced relationship. Yeah. And I think kind of like, you know, even though love is so beautiful and amazing, if you're the one, you know, giving it out, you know, it's still like energy. And if you don't love yourself, I feel like you're just kind of 
you could be creating an empty canister in a way, you know? So I think it's important to have that fluidity of the energy movement or even the way you describe in a partnership. And I think what you describe in a partnership is so amazing because what uh, O'Donoghue wrote in the book was that when two people come together, you know, through a marriage or even at a wedding, you know, they pick that partner because they recognize each other as the one in whom their heart could be at home. And I think that's particularly like important to remember because even with divorce, like you can choose to leave each other, but there was a point in time where you felt that that other person could be another home for you or home with each other. You know, there was a moment in time where you did love each other and to end it well, not so. Uh, Absolutely, Michelle. I'm glad you brought that up because once again, we go back to the spiral with that. Mm. Like, just because, just because you, you know, you were in that place where you had lessons and experiences together and you were a vibrational match, so to speak, with each other and uh, sharing that heart energy and life experience doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever. And so that place sometimes where one, you know, we see it all the time where one person grows and the other person just kind of doesn't or, you know, they fall out of sync. It doesn't always have to be a, you know, a negative. It could just be a, you know, if it, what it is, is a transition. And, you know, so in some of the best cases, you see, you know, we're on that spiral journey once again. Well, here's a transition in the relationship where it's like, yes, we're separating, we're divorcing, but we appreciate what we had together. And, you know, and then, um, and we appreciate where we're going, you know, especially in cases where it involves children. It's like, you're never going to lose that other person because you still have kids together. You'll have grandchildren together and great grandchildren together. So, you know, you better work on that. You better work on how that is going to evolve. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing or a negative. And once again, going back to the Celtic tradition, it is, you know, when people married, it wasn't till death do us part. It was as long as love shall last. I like that better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. As long as love shall last. And love many different forms and um I really think what you say is so true like you know if it started in love we can also choose how we end it you know and it doesn't have to be ended with pure hatred you know to even to change our perspective ending it in love you know Mm -hmm. absolutely or more love than hatred (laughs) you know Right. And just, yeah, how to move through it, how to move through the lessons that 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 is bringing at that time, that disillusion, that transformation. Once again, it's, you know, another transformation. It's like, okay, how are we going to do this together? Because it has to be done together. You know, you have to go through the process and you can go kicking and screaming and hating each other and paying a lot of attorney's fees and court battles and things like that that's one way to do it. And some, uh, you know, many people do because it's kind of a theme, you know, once again, it's a, it's a culturally created theme that, you know, when you divorce someone, you, you better be, you know, 
You better be fighting them, ready, ready to go to battle. It doesn't have to be a battle, you know, not at all. It can be a transition. Or you don't have to go for the immediate response. You could think about the better response, you know, sometimes. You know, and I really loved what um, he wrote in the book that the body is a sacrament. The body is the mirror where the secret of the soul comes to expression. I think that's so beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why this is where, you know, all this internal alchemy that we do, it actually expresses itself through our body. It creates the environment. Mm -hmm. And it does. You're absolutely right. It creates the environment. It creates what we begin to draw in. So as we get clearer and clearer on our desire, you know, what, you know, what makes us feel passionate about life, you know, our gifts and services to humanity, why we're down here in the first place. It's like, then we start to pour that out of our vessel, out of our temple into the world. And then we begin to draw in those experiences and those synchronicities that line us up with what we truly want at a soul level. Yeah, there is a video of, you know, there's a singer called Lizzo. I don't know if you know her, but, you know, she talks about a long time, like hating her body. And there's a video that's out right now where she literally talks to her belly and she like strokes her belly and tells her belly, I love you. Thank you for being so beautiful. Thank you. And I think I find that so remarkable because a lot of times we're so abusive to our bodies. But if we change our thinking and treat our bodies with love and instead of like fearing to get into that bathing suit, like come to a point where, you know, God love the body, whatever it is, you know, and we can make changes in our lives if we wish, but to come from a place of love. So like after seeing her stroke her belly, I've been like stroking my panis and I'm like, I love you belly, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Well, absolutely, because and that brings us into like the the era that we're in, which is a return of the divine feminine, a return of the goddess and a return of that self-love for wherever we are, you know, wherever we're at and really loving those pieces of ourselves that maybe we don't like so much or that we wish would, would shift or change. But once again, as we get into healing ourselves we begin to, you know, the inner world begins to express itself in our outer world. And so it's going to express in the body as well. So the more you love those places that you maybe don't like so much, the more you're actually transforming them in the moment with that saying, I love you how you are now. But my real desire is to be expressed in this way. There's no resistance to that, you know, when you're le- you're leveling that and saying, but my inner desire feels like it wants to express this way. Most of the time when we're kind of hating ourselves, you know, or hating parts of our bodies, um, then we get into that, that zone where we're also resisting. It's like, I better work out harder or do this or do that. Or we're going at it once again, externally instead of internally. And then we've got this resistance and it becomes a fight and a struggle within ourselves. 
where when you get into that deep acceptance, but acknowledging, hey, I, I would like this to express differently, you allow, you allow for that expression a lot easier than the constant internal battle. And why not treat like all aspects of yourself, be it your, your soul, your spirit, your body, your body parts, as if you're on the same team? You know, how much would it be if your team got along instead of were instead of bickering each other, you know, bickering all the time? That is such an amazing statement, Michelle, right there. It's like, absolutely. You know, all of your body working together, you know, for, you know, the optimal health and happiness, love, compassion, you know, and, and being able to really feel that light within and allow it to grow and expand and, and express itself. Your soul desires expression. Your soul wants to be out in the world. It wants to like, you know, play in that sensuality of the world that we were talking about earlier. And so just allow it. Your soul plays in that world through our five senses. How wonderful. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Rowan, so much for being here. You're so insightful and informative. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me. This has been a wonderful, you know, a wonderful opportunity. And it's been wonderful to talk to you and be on your show. And I just, you know, have wishes for many blessings for you on, on your spiritual journey. And I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. And how can they find you, Rowan? Uh, people can find me at my website, which is Rowan Fox, and it's Fox with two X's. So F-O-X-X dot com. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to Lost or Found. Please subscribe and follow Dr. Michelle Choi on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. For more information, visit our website drlostorfound.com.